Father, again, we just thank you in advance for all glorious harvest that's going to spring forth from loss, from suffering, from barrenness. And we entrust that loss, suffering, and barrenness to you to manifest your glory, the power of the resurrection, for your glory, for our joy, and for the hope of the world. In Jesus' glorious name, amen. You may be seated. So, this morning I want to talk to you as we continue our series on spiritual warfare about the sin of pride. How many of you struggle with pride? Raise your hand. All right, this sermon is for you this morning. I'll be preaching to you, but I'll be especially preaching to those of you who did not raise your hand. (laughs) You know, this is the insidious nature of pride. The more pride we have in our hearts, somehow the less we are able to to detect pride in ourselves and somehow the more we think we see pride in others. Pride is very deceptive. We can even become proud of our humility. Pride is also very destructive. Without doubt, pride has caused more division in local churches. Pride has caused more destruction in families. Pride has caused more ruin to our country, the United States. Pride has caused more damage to people's relationships with Jesus Christ than any other sin. And throughout this series, we've been talking about the truth that anything that you see, anything that you feel, anything that you struggle with, anything that you are tempted by is preceded by something spiritual and invisible. And so if you want to affect things in the physical and the visible, you first have to learn how to affect things in the spiritual and the invisible, and the spiritual and invisible then touches things in the physical and visible, and this is something that we call spiritual warfare. And never is this so paramount as when we are dealing with pride. And so throughout this series, we've been looking at various Old Testament characters for as a matter of fact, who have wrestled personally with Satan himself. We've looked at Eve. We've looked at Job. Um, We've looked at Joshua the high priest and Zechariah. And today we are going to look at David's wrestle with Satan and the incredible consequence when he lost in this battle of spiritual warfare. God won the greater war, but he lost the battle, and it was terribly costly for the people in his life, in his country. So if you have your Bible, open it with me to Chronicles. Just start in the Old Testament and the right Genesis, start flipping right a little bit. You're in the historical books, and we will be at Chronicles. First Chronicles chapter 21. David was a huge casualty of spiritual war when he lost a tangle with Satan. And you may be thinking, oh, I know about this. This is when David committed adultery with Bathsheba. And then from there he turned around to try to cover his sin and he had her husband killed. No. 
Now, those were obviously big sins, right? And they had great consequences. But we read how David uh, wrote Psalm 51 as an aftermath of those and how his heart was pure and broken and contrite and he repented and God cleansed him. And then we see in the New Testament, even after the fact that God said, now this is a man after my own heart. We're going to look at a sin that's even greater than adultery. We're going to look at a sin that's even greater than David's lying. We're going to look at a sin that's even greater than David's murder combined. And it's the sin of pride. And isn't it interesting? People come to church after affairs or people would go kill somebody or they just got out of prison for maybe killing somebody or whatever it might be. And we think, wow, they are great, great sinners. Yet in God's eyes, those sins don't even compare to the sin of pride, a sin that infests church every day. And we don't even think it's a big deal. First of all, we might not even discern pride, and if we do discern it, we think, oh, that's no big deal. That's just a little pride. That's not hurting anybody. But in reality, it is very much hurting the heart of God. Pride is very much an offense to God. Let's look at David's tangle with pride and, and Satan. And incidentally, pride is the original sin that caused Satan and a third of the angels to be cast out of heaven. Pride is the original sin in humanity that caused Adam and Eve to be cast out of the Garden of Eden. And the essence of pride is this. I don't need God. Whatever I have, I'm sustaining in my own ability, my own wisdom, my own strength. I don't need God. I'm sustaining all the goodness in my life on my own ability. And this causes us to look down upon people and to treat people poorly. And the heart of this is not only I don't need God, but I am God. Now, when Satan comes against us with the sin of pride, what is he targeting? He's targeting your will. Let's look at this in chapter 21, verse 1 through 4. Then Satan stood against Israel and incited David to number Israel. So David said to Joab and the commander of the army, go, number Israel. What does this mean? It's meaning taking, take a, sense, a, a census of Israel, count Israel, number Israel. From Beersheba to Dan and bring me a report that I may know their number. But Joab said... May the Lord add to his people a hundred times as many as they are. Are they not my Lord the King? All of them my Lord's servants? Why then should my Lord require this? Why should it be a cause of guilt for Israel? But the king's word prevailed against Joab, so Joab departed and went through all Israel and came back to Jerusalem. This is a tragic passage that we just read. This is tragic. This is so sad. This is David, the shepherd boy. This is the guy, this is the kid who at one time in his life only needed a sling and five smooth stones to stand against a giant. This was a kid who placed total and complete confidence in God and God alone. And now he's placing confidence in a million men. There was a time that all he needed was God to stand before his enemy. Now, a million men isn't enough to sleep well at night. Oh, what happened? Wow, how he took his eyes off of God and brought his eyes back onto himself. 
This was the kid who wrote Psalm chapter 33, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, I shall not need. He needed at one time in his life nothing but the Lord. Now a million fighting men, the throne, Jerusalem, and a palace aren't enough to feed his self-esteem. He needed more. This is pride. See, pride isn't having enough. Pride is having more than the people around you. Pride isn't being good enough. Pride is being better. Oh, pastors are horrible about this. I struggle with this. We can have a great Sunday. Many can come to Christ. And then I hear about a pastor buddy, friend of mine, who had double and double came to Christ. And then I'm depressed all afternoon until I repent. And I get right with God on Monday morning. And I have a fresh perspective. Why are y'all looking at me? Am I the only one who struggles with pride up here? (laughs) Oh, what a sad passage we just read. There was a time that Christ was enough. Now Christ is no longer enough for his self-esteem. Christ is no longer enough for his confidence. And this is a greater pride than adultery and murder and lying put together. Is Christ enough for you? Is his love for you enough for your confidence? Is his strength enough for you to make ends meet? He's targeting the will. I want more. Satan's weapon to do this? Pride. Verse 5 and 6. And Joab gave the sum to numbering the people to David. And all Israel, there were 1,100,000 men who drew the sword. And in Judah, 470,000 who drew the sword. But he did not include Levi, that's the priestly tribe, and Benjamin. And the numbering for the king's command was abhorring to Joab. We just gloss right over this, but Joab had the spiritual discernment in this culture, in this context, to understand what David was doing. He was transferring his confidence from God onto these 1,100,000 fighting men. And he remembered who David used to be. And it was a tragic descent. Satan's purpose in this? Why does Satan want to incite us with pride to say, in order to feel good about yourself, in order to have a successful life, in order for your life to count, then you need more. More than others close to you. You need more. Why does he attack our pride? Because pride stands in very opposition with God's essence. And nothing, nothing is more abhorring to God than pride. A couple of weeks ago, one of my dogs were barking, 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 and this dog is usually pretty quiet. So I went back there to investigate, and I looked back there, and this dog is barking at a snake that is longer than this, and a big, wide snake. I hate snakes. So I went back to see what the dog was barking about, and I walked back, and I see the snake curled up and the dog barking. It shocked me. It scared me. I, 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 I stepped back. I hate snakes. It was abhorring to me. Did you realize that a seed of pride has that effect on our God? When Jesus described himself, what did he say? He said, come unto me, for I am humble. I'm lowly of heart. I'm compassionate. I'm gentle. The very essence, the very nature of God is humility. And nothing is as abhorring to God as I need more to feel good about myself. I need more than others to feel good about myself. I need more to fight this battle. I need more than what I have to make ends meet rather than trusting in Christ and His love being sufficient in our life. What is our defense to this? It is humility. Verse 13. 
And we'll circle back around to David at the end of the sermon, but let's look at verse 13. But let me lead up to verse 13 for a moment. So God told the prophet, he said, okay, go talk to your king and tell him this. This sin was abhorring to me. So what's going to happen? You choose, King David. This is the consequence of your pride. Three months of famine, or three years of famine is going to ravage your land. Or three months of onslaught from your enemy is going to clean house in your kingdom. Or the hand of the Lord. You just let me deal with it. And that will be through pestilence, through disease. And David thought about that and he said, even though the Lord is angry about my pride, the Lord is still more merciful than my enemies. And so watch this. This is humility. Verse 13. Let me fall into the hands of the Lord, for his mercy is very great. And so he surrendered, he relinquished, he relented, and he said, these 1,100,000 men, fighting men, I don't own them. They're not mine. They're not my identity. They're not my strength. They are the Lord's. And I'm just a steward. What is your gifts? What are your abilities? What are your blessings? Maybe you need to get your hands off of them, huh? And maybe you need to say, they're not mine. I've achieved nothing on my own. I earn nothing on my own. I sustain nothing on my own. If you go into a meeting and you happen to do well, perhaps you negotiated shrewdly. You didn't do that. That wasn't your ability. God gave you that wisdom. Whatever you have, whatever good comes from you, it's of God. And you need to get your hands off of it because God will not share the glory. And you need to say, it's yours. The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. It's yours, God. It's not mine. It doesn't feed my identity. My strength is in you. Your love and your watch care over me is enough for my security. And maybe we need to all get our hands off of any blessings that God has given us. Here's why pride is so abominable. One, pride defies God. Watch this in Chronicles. His, bri- his pride led to his downfall. He was unfaithful to the Lord his God. To have this sense that I-, I don't need God. I'm independent of God. I don't need to surrender to God. I can have my hands on the glory. I can say I did it. I achieved it. I won it. I earned it. I sustained it. I keep it. And by the way, we can't handle being God. It causes stress. It causes anxiety. It ruins our health. And it will result in us forfeiting every blessing that God gave us. We need to get our hands off of it. Pride causes the downfall. What does God consider unfaithful? Walking in pride. In Proverbs 16:5, the Lord detests. Not, he's, he's not displeased with. He's not displeased with. The Lord detests all the proud of heart. Be sure of this. They will not go unpunished. Proverbs 16, 5. You see, if Satan can incite us to have a seed of pride in our heart, do you want to know what he's accomplished? He's accomplished us to stand in opposition to our God. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And that word opposes a military term, meaning he arrays himself in full military army, or armor, like a general of an army who's going into battle. When we have a seed of pride in our heart, like me and that snake, it causes us to stand in opposition with God. It is no small sin. Your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord, your God. This is what happens. 
it causes us to forget God. Pride defies God. Secondly, pride distracts your judgment. In his pride, the wicked does not seek him. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. I have a friend who had a big decision, and they were wrestling through the decision, and had a lot of anxiety about it, and I asked them this simple question. A follower of Jesus Christ, somebody who loves God very much, after weighing all the options and asking many people about it, I said this, have you prayed about it? I mean, have you diligently sought the Lord? Have you prayed about it? Why is it that we consider prayer our last alternative, and we say, well, I guess there's nothing else to do but pray. Nothing else to do? That's our very first thing that we should do, and that should, be, should, should, should run throughout the entire process. We are to pray, pray, pray. And when we have a seed of pride in our heart, we may walk around and talk humble and say, oh, well, to God be the glory and God's good all the time. And yet, if we're not praying, that's an indication that we are prideful because we're saying we don't need God. We've got it. We can figure it out on our own and we can just ask other people. How prideful are you? Let me answer that question with this question. How prayerful are you? If you're not very prayerful, you are extremely prideful. No matter how humble you might act, you're saying, I've got it, God. Pride distracts your judgment. Thirdly, oh, have you guys seen this? I've seen this more times than I want to see this ever again. Pride divides friends, families, and churches. Pride divides, doesn't it? Pride only, only breeds quarrels, but wisdom is found in those who take advice. And then pride deafens your compassion. Watch this characteristic of love. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. But something about pride, when we have the seed of pride in our heart, it causes us to start looking down on people. You realize you cannot look up toward God. You cannot walk in humility and at the same time look down on somebody else. Sometimes I see people treating others abrasively, unkindly, without gentleness. And you want to know what the seed of that is? It's not that they're not merciful and not compassionate or not loving people. The seed of that is that they're prideful. Because pride causes you to treat people like less than treasures. Even your enemies. Jesus still died for your enemies. Pride says, I can treat them however I want. I can treat them on the basis of how they treated me. Humility says, I'm going to treat them on the basis of the way God treated them, and he sent his only son to die for their sins. If we're ever abrasive, if we're ever bitter, the real problem there isn't that we're having a trouble loving or being merciful, it's that we're having trouble walking in humility. Do not go beyond what is written, Paul writes. Then you will not take pride in one man over against Another. What is this? This is showing partiality. This is judging. For example, if, if, you know, somebody who's homeless, they smell like the streets, they come in off the streets, do they get hugs? Do they get welcomes? Do they get invitations to lunch? Sharp, young, yuppie couple comes in. Do they get welcomes? Do they get hugs? Do they get invitations to lunch? 
The difference in this is in pride or humility. Jesus said, I am lowly of heart. I am humble. I promise you, I promise you, Jesus would take the homeless person to lunch. Would he not? It's quiet in here, isn't it? Galatians, Paul writes, Each one should test his own actions. Then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody else. What kind of pride is this talking about? This is the good kind of pride. This is the kind of pride about, you know, the, I, I put pride into my work. I, I do my very best. I'm, I'm proud of my family. But the good kind of pride is I take pride in my work, but I know that God gave me the ability to work. I take pride in my work, but detaching God is an abominable pride that will result in a downfall in God's blessings off of it. I take pride in my family, understanding that they're a gift to me from God. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away, but I'm grateful for the season that he gives me with them. And so I'm going to treasure the season that I have with them. But I I take pride in my family, I take pride in our church, but they're gifts from the Lord. And I praise him for them. This is the good kind of pride. But the moment we begin comparing to others, that's a bad kind of pride. And we're not saying, I'm grateful for what I have as long as it's more than what other people have. Then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody else. For each one should carry his own load. Pride deafens your compassion. And then finally, pride destroys your soul. Pride destroys your soul. Watch the result of pride. If Satan can entice us to say, I did it, I earned it, I owned it, it's up to me. If he can entice us to have pride, then he causes us to stand in opposition from God, and God will purge the pride from his children. We better walk humbly before God or we will be humiliated. Proverbs sixteen eighteen says, Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Isaiah 2, 11 says, The eyes of the arrogant man will be humbled, and the pride of men brought low. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day. And the Lord Almighty in Isaiah planned it to bring low the pride of all glory and to humble all who are renowned on the earth. Sometimes you look at just prideful, arrogant people prospering, and you say, I don't get it. I don't get it. Why? I would say, one, because Satan is the prince of the air, and two, just wait. Just wait. God knows the end of the matter, and God is so patient. Sometimes you might even look at your enemies and say, I don't understand why they're prospering. Just wait. God knows the end of the matter. And God is exercising His mercy and grace because He knows the result of standing in opposition to His nature by harboring pride. And He's giving them time to repent. He's giving them time to walk in humility. And He knows the end of the matter. And if they don't turn, the end of the matter is not pleasant. It's not good. And so just wait. And if God is relenting His discipline, if God is relenting His wrath upon pride, then it's for a reason, and that should stir your compassion to pray for that person, and for God to be merciful upon that person. Isaiah 2.12, the Lord Almighty has a day in store for all the proud and lofty, for all, for all that is exalted will be humbled. As I said earlier, this was Satan's original sin in heaven. 
this was the original sin on earth. And this continues to be the most destructive sin in the local church today as well as in families today. This is the sin that's holding revival back from our country. This is the sin that's causing our country to go in ruins. Pride. We don't need God. The Supreme Court, we talked a great deal about it, indicated that in, the, in, the, in, in their decision. We don't need God is at the heart of America. The Oklahoma City, they had to, to remove the Ten Commandments from their lawn. We don't need God. And Christians walk passively. And you say, well, no, we don't. Do we not? There was a time that people would not dare have a, a little league game that had basketball, baseball, football, whatever it might be on Sunday morning because Christians were going to be in church. Today, so many people are out. Why? Because church is not an issue. They say, Pastor, I can't be at church on Sunday. I'm sorry, but, you know, I've, I've got, our, I've, I've got our, our, our little league baseball game or whatever it might be. What is that? That's deferring to the gods of this world instead of submitting to the God of the universe. That is pride. That's saying we don't need you, God. We're self-sufficient without you, God. We don't have to defer to your ways. What's the opposite of pride? And it is a breath of fresh air. And the opposite of pride is humility. With humility comes wisdom. When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with humility comes wisdom. And there is an incredible amount of wisdom to trusting the Lord's ways and to deferring to the Lord and surrendering to the Lord and having spiritual backbone and standing up for your convictions because you walk in humility and God is God and you defer to Him and not the gods of this world. There was a time when I was going through college, I got a job waiting tables and, and I told my manager, I said, listen, I can't work Sunday morning. Sunday mornings are important to me. I've got to be in church and I can't work Monday nights. Monday nights are important to me. I've, I've, I've got to be at Young Life. And so guess what happened? The very next time the schedule came around, I was scheduled on Sunday morning and Monday evenings. Managers will do that trick to you. They'll do that. And what are they looking for? They're looking for and expecting for you to be like most Christians in America. And that's just to give up your backbone and just say, okay, well, I've got to defer to you because you're the God of this world rather than the God of the universe. But if there's Christians, and this is just one example, if there's Christians who stand up and say, no, then we'll begin taking our culture back, but not until then. Christians are, are, are screaming at Obama. Christians are screaming at Congress. People, Christians are, are looking at Fox News for a savior. Redemption of our country is in not Congress, not the White House, but church for Christians to begin standing up and living out our convictions. That is our hope. That is our only hope. So let's praise God. So I didn't work. And he said, okay, yeah, that's right. I forgot. I forgot. That's right. I said, okay, thank you. Remember, Sunday mornings, Monday nights, I need those off. And he said, okay. And so the next time he made the schedule, guess what? I think out of the month, he only scheduled me one Sunday morning and one Monday night. And I went and I saw him. I said, I'm sincere in this. My, my faith is real to me. These things are important to me. I will quit. If, if you want me to quit, that's fine. I'll, I'll get another job. But I had bills to pay. Did you know that you cannot walk in humility without it costing you something? 
If your walk of humility doesn't cost you something, you are not walking in humility at all. If it doesn't cost you a little pride in that fight with your spouse, if it doesn't cost you a little ego, if it doesn't cost you money, if it doesn't cost you time, if it doesn't cost you something, you're not walking in humility, you're not trusting in the Lord, and you're standing in opposition of God. With humility comes wisdom, and it just clarifies things, doesn't it? It just clarifies things. With humility comes honor. A man's pride brings him low, but a man of lowly spirit gains honor. The honor comes, not immediately, but the honor comes in due time. But yeah, you have to walk in humility, and and people will take shots at your ego, and your ego gets beat down, and you continue to walk in humility, and there is no honor, and your ego continues to get beat down. Oh, that is a beautiful thing. That's a beautiful thing because uh, your ego is getting beat down until the things that, when, 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 you, when you're finally walking in humility, the things that beat your ego down that entire time no longer bother you anymore because you've learned to surrender those things. And then finally you're a purged soul and God's hand of blessing will begin to raise you up. With humility comes God's favor. Though the Lord is on high, he looks upon the lowly, but the proud he knows from afar. Pride is rampant in the GOP debates, the Democratic debates, Fox News, CNN, isn't it? Pride is rampant in the entertainment business. We would expect that. But what's tragic is pride is rampant in the local church, isn't it? Oh, that God would have a group of people who would walk in humility. His hand of blessing and favor would be upon those people. And with humility comes exaltation. Humble yourself before the Lord, and He will honor you. He will lift you up. Where I live, the, the, the area is on a downward slope, and I saw it again, and it reminded me of this truth again, that when it rains hard, all of the rain finds the low places. The rain doesn't climb up. The rain never climbs up. The rain always flows to the lowest places. And so it is with the power of God, the provision of God, the favor of God, the divine anointing of the Lord, the goodness of the Lord upon us. The reign of God always finds the lowest places. Those saints who are walking the lowest. Those saints who are walking in the greatest humility. Those saints who are deferring to one another because their ego isn't in the picture. Those saints who their hands are off for the blessings because all glory goes to God. Those saints who sleep well at night because they understand they're not holding anything up in their hands. They understand they're not holding any blessings in their grip. It's all from God and it's all up to God. With this kind of humility comes exaltation. So let me ask you this. What can you let go of to walk in humility? Think about this question as we watch this video. What can you let go of in order to walk in greater humility? Is there any pride in you that can be purged? If you let go of that pride, 
it will invite God's favor and blessing onto your life. Let's watch this video. I've carried this burden for too long. I have turned from you, and my heart has turned to stone. You say your yoke is easy, yet I carry it still. You say your burden is light, yet I carry it still. You say you will give me rest, yet I carry it still. Lower my vengeance, my anger, and my hatred, and banish my wicked thoughts from me. Send down a drop from heaven of your Holy Spirit to soften this heart of rock of mine. Give me the strength to let go. Provide no shelter for grievance against another. Let my heart provide no harbor for hatred of another. Let my tongue be no accomplice in the judgment of a brother. Give me the strength to surrender. Give me the strength to be weak, to let go, and not pick it up again. put something on your heart what do you need to let go of watch this in 1st Samuel 21 70,000 people died at the hand of the Lord in Israel because of David's adultery no because of David's lie no because of David's murder no but because of David's pride 70,000 people died as a result of that. Do you want to know what that did to David? It purged the pride from his heart. Let's pick up in verse 18 of chapter 21. Now the angel of the Lord had commanded Gad to send
say to David, and David should go and raise an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jezubite. So David went up to Gad at Gad's word, which he had spoken in the name of the Lord. Now Ornan was threshing wheat. He turned and saw the angel, and his four sons who were with them hid themselves. As David came to Ornan, Ornan looked and saw David and went out from the threshing floor and paid homage to David. This is just a guy who has a farm, and David is in his... Um, Horses and, and, and all of his kingly entourage came up in this farm, and David is going to worship before the Lord. When Ornan saw David, he fell on his face to the ground, and David said to Ornan, Give me the site of the threshing floor that I might build an altar to the Lord. Give it to me as its full price, that the plague may be averted from the people. Then Ornan said to David, Take it, and let my lord the king do what seems good to him. See, I give the oxen for burnt offerings, and the threshing for the sledges, and the wood, and the wheat, and the grain offering. This farmer says, I give it all to you. In verse 24, David said to Ornan, the farmer, No, I will buy them for the full price. I will not take for the lord what is yours, nor offer burnt offerings that cost me nothing. Do you see what happened? David's heart is purged, man. He is walking in humility. Right before this, he told the Lord, he said, Lord, stop. Hold hold everything back. Let your wrath come upon me. These, These people have done nothing wrong. I'm the one who is prideful. God's hand relented. And so through worship, David was going to have peace with God. And so he goes to a farm and he's going to buy a big piece of land and build a huge altar and offer this colossal worship of sacrifices of cattle to the Lord. And this farmer, he says, take it all, king, take it all. It's free. And you see what David does? David said, no, I will not worship my Lord in a manner that costs me nothing. David is finally walking in humility. The way up is down. You want to go up, you go down. And this is through humility. And then God will lift you up. And this is through surrender. We surrender pride. What are you holding on to? We surrender pride. And your surrender to Christ must cost you something. It might cost you a job. It might cost you income. It might cost you an ungodly relationship. It might cost you friends, but your surrender to Christ must cost you something or it is no surrender at all. And this is the reason why. Jesus doesn't want to be first place in your life. Number one priority of five or ten great priorities. Do you you understand that? that? That that thought process enables us to compartmentalize Jesus. Jesus is not the first of many priorities. He's not even the first of a few priorities. Jesus is number one in everything that we do. He doesn't want to be first. He wants to be all, all. He doesn't want us to compartmentalize our lives. He doesn't want the first piece of the pie. He wants the whole pie. What will it cost you this morning to give Jesus everything? Because if he is not Lord of all of your life, he's not Lord of all, at all. If he's not Lord of all, he is not Lord at all. So what is it going to cost you to give up all? Remember Satan? 
In Isaiah chapter 14, we see that Satan said, I will exalt, I will ascend, I will raise myself up, I will be like God. Satan kept climbing and climbing and climbing and climbing and climbing. And Jesus said, I saw Satan thrown out of heaven like a bolt of lightning. And he was thrown to this earth. And we continue to read in Isaiah chapter 14, and we see that kings and presidents and dictators who did not know Christ will one day, in the flames of hell, welcome Satan, and they will say, have you been brought as low as us? And his bed will be on worms, and his blankets in hell, his straight jacket that will refine, uh, confine him from moving will be of maggots. That is Satan's end. His bed, his mattress, his worms, and his straight jacket will be maggots. That's how low Satan is going to go. How high do you climb? That is how low you are going to fall. But how low can you intentionally go? How humbly can we walk? How much pride can we give up? That is how great God is going to exalt us. Would you stand with me, please? What do you need to let go of to walk in humility? It's got to cost you something. And if it doesn't cost you, it is no surrender at all. He's the Lord of all your life or he's not the Lord at all. What area or areas are you holding back from the Lord? You say, well, that, I thought that was just a little compartmentalized pet sin. No, it's pride. It's saying, I don't need you, Lord. You're not the God of my life. I don't surrender all. That's walking in pride. And you've got to let that go. You say, but it's going to cost me. Then let it cost you. Let it cost you everything. Let it cost you your life. Jesus said, if we love, we, we have to love not our lives even unto death. We have to pick up our cross and follow. We have to follow even if it costs us money, even if it costs us prestige, even if it costs us comfort, even if it costs us relationships. We have to surrender even if it costs us our lives. Or we're not walking in surrender at all. In the Middle East today, did you hear how just a few weeks ago, there was a, a Christian in a, in a Middle Eastern village that was being just ravished by ISIS. And there was a Christian father. Many Christians fled. And this Christian father said, no, the people who are here need Jesus. So he and his 14-year-old son stayed behind. This is true. This is just two weeks ago. In front of the dad, they cut off the son, the 14-year-old boy's fingertips, trying to get the dad to renounce Christ. And he didn't. And then they crucified the father and son beside one another. And then they cut their heads off. And then they took any women who were associated with this dad and their son, and they raped them in front of everybody, and then beheaded them. You say, well, that's a little extreme. Jesus said, love not your lives even unto death. We've got to surrender. We've got to give Jesus all of our lives, or he's not the Lord at all. And so now you think of your little pet sin, you think of your pet pride, you think of your pet bitterness. 
Will you continue to walk stubbornly and obstinately before the Lord, or will you surrender that to Christ? Let's surrender to the Lord. Count the cost. Count the costs. He will reward you a thousand times in this life or the life to come. How he rewards is his business. But let's make our business surrendering all to the glory of Christ. Would you bow your heads? If you have pride in your heart that needs to be purged, would you raise your hand, please? Surrender that pride. Walk in humility before the Lord. Let go of that pride. Let's not just go to church this morning. Let's be the church, and let's be entirely consecrated to Christ. Let's respond.